Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Snap No Tap podcast. I'm Joe Cardinal. And I'm Tony Cicchini. And this week we are without Nico because um, he's tied up with work. How you doing, Joe? Doing okay. Doing okay. Work week's almost done. So got the holiday weekend coming up. So definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, I guess we should mention to everybody out there that we're actually Normally, we, we record on Sunday and upload on Sunday, but today, because of the holiday weekend and people not being available, we're actually recording this on a Thursday night, but you will be seeing this on a Sunday. So if we don't talk about direct current events, <laughs> it's because we're, we're time travelers. We went back three days. Think about it. What's cooking other than that? Nothing else? Well, I mean, at work is we had a, a guy let go. So that was kind of on my mind. It's been at work. It's been kind of stressful and, and kind of upsetting. Uh, workout wise, um, it's been good, though. I've been doing a good job of like at least this week, kind of making a list of uh, things to train on my own. Um, it was good up until yesterday. So I've been doing like a, like a lot of shadow drilling down on the mats in the basement, uh, either working escapes or, you know, trying to shadow some hooks. Uh, sometimes I'll work. Uh, just, you know, practice my takedowns, shadow box that. Um, at my gym now, uh, so I've got a gym where I lift some weights. I got that in and was able to work the heavy bag a little bit. I think I mentioned that last week now where I was able to spend some time. So that's nice to actually have something to hit um, besides the kids. And um, uh, yeah, but then I, I wanted to kind of start working my sprints back in. You had talked a little bit about explosive power and how important that is. And so um there's a couple areas where I do sprints. There's this um, soccer field that's really nice. It's 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 got astroturf, which I'm not a big fan of, but it's it's really spread out, so I can do like hundred meter dashes on it. Uh, but that you know now with school back in session, it was just like I, my normal time. I went over there and it was just loaded with, you know, kids and minivans and you know the whole area was crowded. So I ended up finding this basketball court. Now you played basketball, right? Did. Um, in high school, when you were in high school, did they make you do things like when I was there, we would do wind sprints where you'd like run up to the free throw line, run back, run up to the half court back. And you do these kind of like um, almost like ladder wind sprints. Well, I did not play basketball in high school. I played basketball in grade school. Um, we didn't even, well, we played intramural basketball in high school, but mm -hmm. no, I wasn't on a basketball team. Um, but I do remember those even in grade school doing those wind sprints. Yeah, we'd start at the baseline run to the key, back, then to the top of the key, back, um, half court, back, and all the way down. Then, then the top of the key at the other end, and then the foul line, and then the further baseline and back. I do remember that. Um, but uh, my track, I was a sprinter. We talked about this several times. That was a whole different type of conditioning than what I was even used to doing the wrestling because – you know, they actually um, overtrained me. I, I had shin, I ended up with shin splints and this and that. I come to find out later, you know, that I was grossly overtrained um, in my sprinting, but they didn't know anything. You know, the coaches, it's not their fault. I mean, they, just, they didn't know. It's, we were new there at that school. It used to be an all-girls school. And my junior year, we were the first boys in that school. It became co-ed. No, you kind of went through that with Lane Tech, but that was before your time at Lane. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they didn't know. And I, I mean, 
I had a lot of sprinting speed. I was was like a naturally quick guy. And they're like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do with this guy? And (laughs) I remember my senior year, they brought in um, some guy. He was a collegiate. I don't know if he was a collegiate champion, but he was a collegiate sprinter. And they brought him in to try to coach me. But right across the street from where my high school was, was uh, 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 college, community college in Cleveland. So we used their track. And uh, I just blew him out of the water. I mean, I didn't even see this guy. You know, I mean, I just just exploded. So it, it was kind of like I don't want to listen to what he had to tell me. You know, I, it was in one ear and out the other because I'm like, man, dude, because he wasn't old. He was like maybe – well, I was 17, and he was probably 22, 23. So this guy should have still been in his prime. But, yeah, so I kind of like I didn't want to listen to what he had to say. <laughs> but, yeah – um, you should continue on with those intervals and do them. If you can't go to the track, even run in place. I show that on the lost art or uh, on the lucky 13, you know, running in place as fast as you can with your legs and then a little slow and then fast again. Or, you know, I used to have those round trampolines at the gym, you know, do it on that. If, if you have like knee or back issues. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I would suggest to anybody watching that if you are going to do indoor training like this in your house or in a confined room, um, open the window. Even when the weather gets cool, open that window, get that fresh air in there. You know, um, that really helps. Or if it isn't raining or, or, you know, something like that, you can go outside just on on your porch if you have it or just whatever. If you don't have the space to run. Just get outside, get that fresh air, man. It makes a difference. Haven't you noticed that, Joe? Oh, yeah. Well, I just like it in general. You know, I tend to prefer, you know, an evening where I can have the windows open over air conditioning anytime. You know, it's weird. I grew up and I think in my folks' home, like, I I don't know from them being from the 50s or whatever, like air conditioning was the new thing. And they always just kept the the windows closed during the summer. And now I, I just don't understand that, man. You know, the minute I can get a breeze in, that's just great. But definitely uh, training outside is like I've been in gyms where it's just stuffy, you know, you just feel it. And it's just it, it just adds to the, the workout in a negative way, I guess. It, it takes away from it. It makes it much more difficult. You know, I never had air conditioning. I moved to Chicago when I was 23. So it probably wasn't until I was 25, maybe that I had a place with air conditioning. I never had air conditioning ever. And I don't, I never really traveled much as a, as a kid. You know, I don't remember going on vacations or anything. So I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know if I, if I was ever in air conditioning until I was 25. Now that's not a big deal because, you know, my grandparents probably never were in air conditioning ever. You know, look at how many, you know, air conditioning wasn't, you know, common back in the 20s and 30s and probably 40s and 50s even, you know, who knows. But, yeah, it does um, it, it does make a difference, you know, it, at least for me. I, Of course, now, I, you know, several years ago, I think, I, I don't know if you knew that I had heat stroke, and that is horrible. Um, it, I'll tell you an interesting story. It was before my gym actually opened up in Bensonville. So Javier and I, he was, I think we went to Carroll stream and we went to a, I don't remember what it was now, if it was a lifetime fitness or something like that, it was a big place. And I was, uh, you know, 
doing pretty good. Um, you know, I was doing, I was, I would rep, you know, with 350. I, you know, I would warm, I would open up a war. If you want to call it a warm up set, I really didn't do warm ups, but I, I would never bench less than 315. I was working out with 350 for reps. That's back when I was benching close to 500 pounds. So I moved and I helped my girlfriend at the time move. So me and this one guy, and, uh, you know, we moved into, um, you know, Elmwood Park, and it was blistering. It was like 100-degree heat, and I got really sick. So did, so did this guy that helped me move, Mike. So the interesting thing, about a week later, Javier and I go back to the gym. I, I put 315 on the bar, and I can't budget off my chest. I can't, I can't even do one rep. We kept dropping the weight until I got to something like 230 or 240. And I was able to get a few reps in with that. That's scary. Going from doing 10 to 12 reps with 350 to four or five reps with like 240. That's how much his strength this heat stroke took for me. Um, so I, uh, and even to this day, I get, I'm very susceptible to the heat. I don't like the heat. I I, I can't uh, can't handle it too well. <clears throat> so yeah, I'll I'll never forget that as long as I live. How much Javier's got to remember that he thought I was joking. He thought I was goofing around. I'm like Javier, I can't lift this. Get this off. You know, I didn't. <laughs> scary. <laughs> you remember? I think maybe a year or so ago we had that kid Josh out here to train. Was that his name? <laughs> but he was a he was a medic with the army. And he said that um, pretty much once you have a heat stroke, and maybe I'm wrong about this, that your body, it's almost like an allergic reaction. Like you are always going to be sensitive to that because he said when they would go on maneuvers or whatever, before they'd head out, he'd say, okay, who are my, my heat stroke victims? Because he had to keep an eye on them because they would always respond differently going forward to the heat. It was never the same. Like, they're, you know, whatever it changes in their physiology um, you know, and that's the thing with so many things is, you know, your body doesn't always recover from stuff, you know, certain things happen. And you're correct. Because that's what I was told by a doctor back when it happened, you know, that now you're always going to be sensitive to the heat. You know, you're going to have to take, you know, you're going to have to be careful and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, it's just, um, it was, it was a difficult, you know, cause it was, it was an all day affair moving. And, uh, you know, matter of fact, so I had to move out of my place and then I had to get her stuff out of her place. So I don't remember now. I think it was, and actually it took us two days, you know, so this was two days of doing this in hundred degree heat. And um, the uh, apartment that I moved into, uh, you know, didn't have central air. So I didn't have a chance to put in my window air conditioners or anything like that. So yeah, it was, it was, disastrous so yeah yeah that josh was out here that was two years ago that he was out here right about this time he came out around september um 2018 yeah he's a good guy i wonder if he had any fights or not obviously now with covid i don't know who's having fights where but I, yeah i hope i hope i hope i uh, hear from him again yeah him and his dad I trained his dad many many years ago so um but yeah um so training and that's another thing i kind of talked about this when i made my short weekly uh, video. Um, training is the one thing that we all should have in common. I mean, everybody can improve their conditioning or their strength or, 
or, or their endurance, whatever, um, or their speed. Um, and a good piece of advice for people that I don't know if I mentioned too often, but the better your technique is, you know, your, your body mechanics, uh, everything will become easier for you because you're not working, you know, you're not antagonizing yourself. So you have to have really good form when you're doing things. And uh, you, you have to understand the science of it. And, you know, I, I look back to what I would call great athletes through the years. And, um, you know, you, you look at them and you can see how they're like poetry in motion, right? But they're fit, they're fast, they're strong, they're well-rounded. And that's something that I always aspired to, you know, to be. Um, at first, it was speed because I was young. I wasn't strong. I had poor diet and, you know, bad upbringing. And then as I got older and I could afford to get things, you know, weights and stuff, then I started to work on my strength. Of course, with training with what Stanley helped me with my strength too. Of course, he, he wasn't the first inspiration. I mean, I was inspired to be strong long before him, but, you know, he was the first one that was like, I got fed to the lions, man. You talk about strength. This guy was beyond strength, you know? Um, so yeah, that's something that everybody can always work on. And even as you get older, this is the thing. You may not be as strong. If you were a world-class athlete, athlete, when you were 30, now you're 50, 55, of course, you're not going to probably be like you were when you were 30, but you can still improve your strength or stop the diminishing losses. Um, and then for those people who were never really in shape when they were 30, you could be better, stronger, faster at 50 than you were at 30. You know, that's, that's the beauty of, of things like this. Um, fitness is a lifestyle, and it's something that I wish everybody could get addicted to, you know. And um, I've seen some great uh, technicians, people who were technical but really, you know, weren't really weren't in shape, and you know, so they don't they don't reach their potential, you know. So I'm glad at your age that you're, um, you know, still devoted to wanting to get in shape. That's that makes me proud. Thanks. I do like. Oh, actually, I, I didn't finish my thought with the sprint the sprints we got off, but that did kind of inflame my knee a little bit. So um, I think it was more the squatting down, reaching for the line kind of a thing. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, along with fitness and the, the weird thing about exercise for me, at least, you know, it's, it's always been a little bit of a joy for me. I, I never, well, except when you, when you, when you, when you have me work out that, that takes it a little bit beyond, uh, it's definitely not fun anymore, but general working out like lifting, um, running, riding my bike, you know, there's a lot of people who it's like, um, I don't know, it, it seems like a chore, like doing their taxes or something. But to me, it's a little bit like recess. You know, I like going out and being physical, um, you know, and, and uh, so that's, I guess, a blessing. I mean, up to a point, obviously, like, like any activity, you can take it to the point where, and, and you should, I think, at times take it to the point, you know, especially in, in uh, you know, in our, in our realm of interest of self-defense, you need to get to the point where you're physically in a lot of discomfort, you know, you got to be used to that. But even beyond that, there is kind of a, uh, a, like I don't know. I think the body enjoys that, and it affects the mind. I, I remember. I think it was um, James Taylor, the singer. I remember reading a quote from him sometime that like, 
like 10 minutes with a jump rope did more for him than an hour of, uh, you know, psychotherapy, you know, it just improved his mood so much. And I do think that body mind connection is there, you know, that um, you're releasing endorphins and it just, yeah, when your body's feeling good, it, you know, it just lifts your spirits. You know, I've, I've had buddies too, when they're just down in the dumps that they go work out, it picks up their spirits, you know? So, um, but yeah, I hope I can keep on doing it. I mean, the trick for me is not pushing it too far. The balancing thing is when I get older, I don't want to do it to the point where I hurt myself. And then 10 years from now, you know, I'm going to limit myself somehow. That's kind of the, now I'm kind of getting in the playing the back nine, as they say, um, you know, it's, it's trying to find that balance of being as fit as I can, but not being reckless. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know what? You can always get hurt. You know, you can have a freak thing or not even freaky, but you know, just we age, our bodies age. Um, you know, do if you're, you know, with your joints, you mentioned with the sprinting, you know, try, try that trampoline thing, you know, um, that, that may help, uh, you know, I remember Luthes talking about running on sand. In on sand, he at the time I think he was living in uh, well, um, um, New uh, what do you call it, Newport Beach or Norfolk, Norfolk. That's what it was. I think it was Norfolk, Virginia, and he would hit the beach. And uh, um, I know a lot of guys of guys back that lived in California, or whatever. They'd run on the beach. You know, um, probably Florida too. You know, that kind of adds a little bit of resistance, but it's also uh, cushiony. Um, yeah, running on concrete, sidewalks or roads or whatever, that's yeah, kind of difficult. Boy, that can really, you know, running on, like you were doing on the gymnasium and you're bending down and all that, that's hard. That, that's, that's hard on your knees and, and hard on your joints. Um, you know, track now, you know, most of the tracks are synthetic. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure all of them are now. There's no more asphalt tracks or anything, cinder blocks or anything, or a cinder um, but you know, it, it makes a difference. Believe me, it's like a rebound. Um, you know, it gives you, it gives a little, little bit of a cushion, but, uh, my running days sadly are over, but you know, I still dream about that. You know, I still say, you know what, if, if there was a way that they could give me a pill that would totally block all the pain in my body, I would train to, to do some senior sprint thing. Um, I really would. I'd have to, I mean, it would be difficult for me because I'm, you know, roughly 220. That's kind of heavy, you know, for a sprinter. But I would still love to do it. It's just I, I can't, you know, I, I can't do it. I'd be in too much agony, you know, my knees and my back and everything. You know, I'd be laid up. So, um, but there's, you know, what I think I'm going to do. I was mentioning that I, to you before we started filming, that I rearranged you know, the basement a little bit. And I think this fall, I'm going to get back on my, my road bike, one of my Bianchi's. And, you know, with the stationary uh, setup, you saw that, um, the wheel. And I might do that. I might uh, start riding a little bit um, and do my intervals on that bike. That would be great. I um, happen to see this website, Today, called, I believe, called, it was either today or yesterday, it was called Zwift. I believe it was Z-W-I-F-T. And it's about, it's kind of like a Peloton, but it's not Peloton. It's, it's Zwift. 
and they have competitions and da 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 da. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. But then when I I said, what's the catch? The Zwift itself is like fifteen bucks a month, fourteen ninety nine. But you have to have a special um, stationary uh, uh, setup on your bike, and they have one of two different kinds of uh, setups. But you know, you're you're looking at eight hundred to fourteen hundred dollars for this thing that would attach to your either in replacement of your rear wheel uh, or in addition to your rear wheel. And then it runs on a cable um, so it can get all the statistics and it can control, uh, you know, your uh, derailleur and make your, you know, make it harder for you and make it easier for you. Um, It's just simply not worth, you know, a thousand dollars to do that. It, you know, that's ridiculous to me. Um, so, but I'm like, you know what? I have the wheel, my own uh, uh, setup, and I can just do that. And, uh, you know, put on a movie or something, a DVD, or, or, you know, maybe YouTube has something that you can watch, you know, like riding down the road on a bike kind of video, you know. And, uh, yeah, just something. Or music. I'll listen to music, put it, you know, going. But, um yeah, so I might do that, Joe. That'll be my interval training, I think, because I don't want to do it at the gym. That's a great idea, yeah. And I I think I've even seen um, where they do, like, um, spin classes on Zoom or some, some technology like that where a, a trainer will, you know, like you have a group of people doing it, you know, if that, if that gets you motivated. Um, I've often thought about doing that because, um, you know, I like, again, I like riding bikes and I get a great workout from it, but you know, I'm usually, I don't do it stationary. And that's, that's a really good idea because kind of when you're out and about, you coast a lot, you know, like I'll, I'll turn corners, I'll be going downhill. And so um, it kind of makes a natural interval where, you know, if I'm riding up the hill, well, that's my intensity. And then as I ride down, I'm cooling off, but sometimes, you know, it, you know, cause I'm not watching my heart rate. I'm just, sometimes I try and pay attention to my breathing to make sure that I am keeping myself working, you know, um, but yeah, sometimes I think like a straight class where you're riding the whole time and maybe not coasting as much uh, would be really intense. You know, I've known some people have done it. I've never done it because I've just never been like a, like an aerobics class type of guy or whatever. I don't, you know, um, but, and the other advantage, like you said, with a stationary bike is, is like, yeah, you can just watch TV, man. And, you know, just totally be just have your mind being filled with something else. And as, a, as you work out, which is always good. Well, I can give you the model of what I have. Um, I bought it many years ago, and it's still available. You know, they're not a lot of money. You can actually, I bought mine used, actually. Um, you know, you're looking at maybe roughly 100 bucks, 120 bucks or something for this. And that's, that's fine. It's not $1,000. And, you know, um, yeah, you, you know, it, 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 it's very helpful. And you can, you can do it at all hours, and you can do it, um, you know, in all, in all, you know, it doesn't matter what the weather's like outside. And you're right, going to these spin classes or whatever, sometimes it's just not feasible. And um, yeah, you can, I mean, getting, you know, you should know enough already by just your own knowledge and in training with me on how to get a routine going. Um, that's not a problem. The problem with most people are, is the motivation, getting started and keeping it going. Um, that's, that's the big thing. 
And I, I don't, I don't need a, you know, I'm not looking to be a competitive cyclist anymore. Uh, I'm just, you know, I, I know what it takes to get fit for me, but um, yeah, that's just something that I think also, cause it, it harks nostalgic for me because I was really big into cycling. I did centuries and everything when I was young, that means riding a hundred miles in a day. Um, I did all that. I did some competitions when I was young and then, Sadly, you know, I got, and I do mean this, sadly, I got my driver's license and my cycling kind of went, you know, to the wayside. And um, I was inspired by the movie Breaking Away. Um, you know, it was just the movie that I'm like, wow, okay, this is cool. <laughs> you know, and I used to, on a couple occasions, rode my bike all the way to school, um, which was for me, quite a distance. Um, but I mean, I was in fairly, you know, I was, this coincided about when I, about the time when I was learning how to fight, but uh, what uh, the wrestling part, the catch wrestling. So my fitness really was, you know, was coincided and it was good, but I only could ride, you know, obviously in the, in the summertime. And um, in the movie Breaking Away, he wrote a Mozzie. Um, and I ended up with a Bianchi, the bottom line Bianchi that I ended up losing, actually getting it stolen. But now I have two Bianchi customs, uh, road bikes, but they're steel frame. They're old school. They're not aluminum. They're not carbon fiber. They're not any, any hybrid like that. I'm old school. And I figured it, it doesn't matter to me because number one, I'm not going to be competing again. And even if I was. At my, you know, I'm always going to be around 220. So if my bike weighs three or four pounds more, it, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm a heavier guy, you know, um, than most competitive cyclists. So, um, yeah, I'm going to try to do this. I hope I can. I just hope things in my life don't um, interfere with it. So, you know, that would be a good thing for me to do. And all, all I will need to do at this point is set up some video uh, situation so I can either, you know, watch a movie like you were mentioning or, or something, you know, so I'm not, you know, crazy bored while I'm doing it. But it's going to be intense. So I'm not, I mean, I don't even need to watch a movie so much as, you know, watch a television show because we're talking probably 30 minutes of high-intensity um, workout. That's all I'm going to need. Yeah, I remember Breaking Away. I remember that being very popular. A lot of people don't talk about that movie anymore. But at the time, I think even me, I got jazzed. I'd watch it. Although movies have that effect on me, you know, I, especially sports movies. When I'd see it, you know, like uh, we talked about Rocky before where it's like, you know, yeah. I, I'm a sucker for those training montages. You know, when they show him, you know, in the junkyard with the sledgehammer and then doing the one-arm push-ups and, you know, the minute I, you know, when I see it, I get all pumped up and want to start working out and hitting a bag and doing that, you know, same thing with breaking away. I, I still can picture that scene where he's like, he's being drafted by that truck. Do you remember that? He's keeping up with the truck. I, okay, I do. And I got, I, I'm going to interrupt because this is very interesting and it's, it's gone now from the internet. However, the cyclist that did that scene, okay, was it Indiana competitive cyclist. Well, the guy ended up in life, ended up having a sex change. This is not a joke. And there's the website, 
IMBD, Internet Movie, or IMDB, Internet Movie Database. Well, this cyclist used to post these manifestos pretty much, just going on about life. and They're all deleted. They're all gone. But it was, you know, unbelievable. I was reading this person's life story, and it wasn't really a pleasant one, but this person got into discussing how um, the uh, they got drafted in the movie, you know, um, to, to be in the movie. It was a racing team um, of, you know, pretty damn good cyclists. And uh, so, yeah, this, this scene came up, and um, they're like, do you think you can do it? He's like, yeah, I, I'm, let's go for it. That was very impressive, you know, I mean, because it, it really, because I was always riding a bike. I always rode my bike, but that movie really kicked my, made me want to be a competitor. And um, I remember when Paolo Giordani came out here to train, one of the times he came out, we watched Breaking Away. He was sitting there when, when Dennis Christopher, the star of the movie, was saying stuff in Italian. Paolo was in my living room laughing his ass off because, I mean, that's what was cool about the whole thing. The kid wanted – he was wannabe. You know, he wanted to be Italian. <laughs> and his father, um, Paul Dooley, I believe his name was, the real, his real name, um, he was a riot. I mean, that, that show was – that movie's funny. And, and it's inspirational. And the love interest, I believe her name was Robin Douglas – Last, she didn't make it big. I don't know. She married somebody, and last I heard, she's here in Chicago. Really? Yeah, she was beautiful. But yeah, what a what a great movie. Um, absolutely. When you think about Dennis Quaid, okay, he probably got to start there. Um, Jackie Earl Haley, but he, I think he did movies previous to that, like Bad News Bears, and then, um, oh. The other guy, the other uh, boy, he was in City Slickers and all of that. He was in Home Alone, the tall, skinny guy. I, I can't believe my mind just went blank on his name. But um, but all these guys ended up having a, a good career. I guess Dennis Christopher didn't do a lot of movies, perhaps, but he did a lot of Broadway and things like that. Um, last I read, he still has that bike. He kept that mozzie. He has that bike, which, wow, that'd be That'd be great to to have that bike, but you know the bikes nowadays are you know more advanced. Um, my one Bianchi is, I went nuts with it. One, it's a, a world. It's like one of the world's toughest road bikes. The gearing in the in in the uh, uh, rear cassette is beyond even the Tour de France. It, it would be more. It would be. Even guys in the Tour de France would not have my cassette because it's just too tough. Um, it's straight um, gearing in the back, and it, it would be a monster. But if you can get it going in high gear, you're, you're going to go super fast. Uh, I can't handle it. It's just, you know, it's beyond my abilities at this, at this point in time because, you know, I don't, I'm not a – I haven't cycled, you know, really in years seriously. But, um, yeah, it's it's, it's – yeah, it's, I'm surprised we're talking about that. But, yeah, that movie, I'm going to have to watch it. And then maybe over the weekend, you know, I have it. So I should, I, I should watch it. Um, but you mentioned Rocky. And I remember Bruce Lee, our Bruce Lee from The Lost Art of Hooking. Bruce's inspiration was Vision Quest. That was his movie. Because Bruce was younger than me. 
and Bruce was still in school. And, you know, um, when Vision Quest came out, I was already an adult. And uh, I, I don't remember what year it came out, but I didn't even know about it until years later. Um, and Vision Quest probably for me doesn't, when I've watched it, um, it didn't, didn't inspire me because I'm not really, you know, I'm into di a different style of wrestling than that, you know. Um, but Rocky, oh my goodness, Rocky really, because I was boxing then and I had already been boxing. And then Rocky came out, I was about 12 years old. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, this is it, man. This is it. <laughs> so, um, and I was actually at the fight that inspired uh, the Rocky movie. Chuck Wepner fought Muhammad Ali in the Richfield Coliseum, which was about an hour, roughly, I don't remember now, outside of Cleveland. It's where the Cavaliers played. It's been demolished since. Nick Maletti owned it. That was where the uh, Ali fought um, Chuck Wepner. And I went to that fight. And years later, you know, it inspired the movie Rocky. Kind of neat. So. I'll right. never I, I vividly remember Ali getting set on his ass. I mean, I remember that not, I mean, but that was later in the fight, you know, but on replay, you could see what happened. I mean, um, Chuck Wepner stepped on his foot and, you know, that's really what, what caused it. But yeah, that was, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Oh my God, what's happening here? <laughs> you know, for me watching Rocky when I was a kid, I didn't scrutinize the boxing very much. You know, I just kind of watched it as is, but it's one of those weird things. And so that's what, interesting for me, like your perspective, because when you actually had been trained and watched it, you know, I can, I think I, I can't remember exactly when I first saw it, but when I, I remember when I started to train and then I kind of went back to it almost thinking, Hey, I'm going to get some pointers or something <laughs> and watching it's like, why are they just punching? Why are they just leaving their hands down? Why are they just taking a beating like that? You know? Um, I, I mean, it just didn't, it didn't take very long. And that's one of the frustrating things about so many boxing movies is that um, they, you know, they're definitely made for visual appeal or dr drama or whatever, but technically so often they just, you know, are not as concerned. Uh, it's not always the case. I mean, I, there are some movies where they, they do try to keep to it, but I remember really being disappointed with Rocky and it just looking like a bad tough man contest, you know, <laughs> Well, Carl Weathers was was tight, man. You know, he he looked good. Uh, he was in shape and he moved well. Um, you know, uh, he you know obviously patterned himself after Muhammad Ali for the movie. But yeah, you don't want to fight like you know like Rocky Balboa. You know, that's definitely a no no. Um, but I mentioned to you before, and I don't remember the name, but watch an old movie with Robert Ryan. Uh, where he, it was, it was a very, he was a fighter and he was a boxer in real life. He was a collegiate uh, champion. And the other actor in there was a pro fighter. Uh, um, Robert Ryan actually was the better of the two fighters. Um, just because you're pro doesn't always mean you're that good. But the movie was classic because it was a, I forgot what they call it in cinema, but it was filmed in real time. Okay. So, like, let's say the movie is two hours, and basically the movie is set in two hours. So the fight, you know, in, in, in the movie is as it's happening, okay? Um, and it, it looked, I mean, there were times you could tell they were really hitting each other, but obviously they're not trying to kill each other. But um, 
Robert Ryan looked good. I was very, you know, for the time. And again, remember, I don't know how old Robert Ryan was when he filmed this movie. He wasn't 21. I'll tell you that right now. He was probably late 30s, you know, or whatever. And, um, you know, probably hadn't been super in shape, but he looked good. It shouldn't be hard to find that movie. Just type in Robert Ryan boxing flick, you know, um, and I highly recommend um, that you you watch it. It's um, it's pretty good. It's pretty realistic. But you're right. Most boxing or like martial art movies are they always were to me unwatchable because they were ridiculous. Okay, um, it, I did like some of the weapons that I would see, but um, you know the fight scenes were like this isn't happening. You know this. And it doesn't work like this. Uh, so I could uh, appreciate the actors' athleticism, all of the actors in the movies, their athleticism and their flexibility and so on. But I, I you know, was really like, no, these, these are not fighters. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, this, I mean, maybe they could in real life, but they certainly weren't portraying it in the movie. It was too, like, over the top. And it, we used to get that Chinese, what was it, Kung Fu Theater or something on Saturdays or Sundays for a while in Cleveland when I was a kid. Those were really over the top. You know, they were using, obviously, aerial, uh, you know, like uh, wired. They were doing flying through the air and shit like that, you know, doing backflips that you couldn't do. And, uh, you know, um, oh, well, wait, let me, let me uh, veer off. There's an actor, Asian actor, born in America. I believe he was born in St. Louis, named Al Long. And I believe his last name is spelled L-E-O-N-G. He always said this Fu Manchu thing. You'll know him when I tell you this. He was in the Die Hard movie. He was the the, the bad guy that at one point ate the candy bar. <laughs> yeah, I know him. yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, he's had some hard times physically. He had, I believe, a stroke or brain cancer and then a stroke. So he, his arm doesn't work anymore and, and all of that. But um, anyhow, he said he's an act. He's a stuntman. I'm a stuntman. I'm a stuntman. I'm not an actor. I'm a stuntman. I'm not an actor. But, um, I don't know, Jesus, I don't know where I was going with this, but it was something really um, important about him. And I can't remember now what I, where I was heading with this. But, uh, yeah, he... Um, you know, he he was like one of these famous bad guys. And boy, I just wish I could. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, I know what I was going to say. He, in an interview, said, you know, um, while he's a very positive guy, pretty much, but he doesn't like a lot of the new movies, stunts and all that, because he, as he worded it, this, they make it, anybody can do what these people are doing, because it's all special effects. It's, it's like uh, CGI and just all of this crazy like super over the top stuff there's just absolutely no realism left to it okay so if you ever watch these old like movies from the 50s and whatever 40s 50s 60s those stuntmen are doing the stunts okay 70s even 80s probably they're all doing those stunts you know they're their special effects and trick photography was you know very limited so nowadays you don't know. I mean, I'm not knocking the stuntmen. These stuntmen are phenomenal and they're in great shape. But when you see an actor 
doing things. You know, it's no longer, I mean, it's not real. You know, it's, it's just over, it's over the top. And, um, you know, and I, I, and I, I like some sort of realism. I'm like you, Joe. I like, I like the realism. And um, I really appreciate when there's an actor that, you know, can do, you know, that it, he isn't relying on film editors, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. And a lot of times, one of the trends I've seen a lot with like fight choreography too is, I don't know if you've noticed it in modern films, but a lot of times they'll just move the camera around a lot to kind of simulate action. And it, it instead of, and, and it frustrates me because I can't see what's going on. You know, it gives you the impression of uh, energy and excitement, but it's not really there. And that's also frustrating for me. I don't know if they do that as much. It seemed like there were several years there where they would just, you know, uh, almost blur the screen with moving the camera, agitating it around, like it was being shook by the action. And it was really frustrating. But yeah, I'm, I'm the same with you with like, like in camera effects, either whether it's special effects or stunts are always more exciting to watch. Even if you know it's fiction, you know, some guy's doing it. You know, I was watching um, the old John Wayne movie Stagecoach. And they're doing this scene, you know, where a guy is jumping from the stage, the, the actual coach, in between the horses, you know, and there's someone being shot and they, they go between the, the, you know, right underneath the stage coach. That was, you know, it, it was, it was very exhilarating because, you know, people were really risking it for those movies, you know, even though there, I'm sure there were some safety elements involved, you know, these were people, you know, jumping around and falling and, and, and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was much more exciting. Um, but yeah, I'm like you with the Kung Fu movies. I had to change my frame of mind with it because I used to just get kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say pissed at it, but just kind of like snub my nose at Kung Fu movies because you knew, you know, and eventually I just kind of had changed my attitude and say, like, yeah, like you said, appreciate the athleticism and the artistry. You know, it's kind of like um, putting the art in martial art. If you say, wow, it's almost like watching a gymnastics meet or something saying like, wow, if the, you know, if you watch what these guys are doing, like um, I still love watching some of those choreographed scenes by Jackie Chan. He does some amazing things. You know, he does these crazy fights with like ladders and jumping off rooftops. And a lot of his stuff was, you know, was without wires. Or even if it is, it's still spectacular. So, you know, if I, if I approach the film with a different state of mind as watching it as, uh, you know, almost like dance or something, it, it's much more exciting and, and enjoyable than, you know, if I just kind of check my attitude with it. Um, yeah, they're great movies. A lot of times, a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. And Jackie Chan it was, you know, a tremendous... Uh, martial arts <clears throat> and athlete in general, <clears throat> excuse me, as are many of those uh, male and female uh, participants. But yeah, again, it's kind of like when you watch like the Rambo movies and all of that, again, it gets like, it's too much for me, you know, <clears throat> one man wiping out the whole, you know, brigade and, you know, everything, um, you know, there's just, I, I'm, I'm not a snob. I mean, by no means am I like uh you know, I know people uh, that are like real film critics. They, they only watch certain types of movies. I don't really go to movies anymore. I don't. I can't tell you the last movie that I went to. Um, it may be Rocky Balboa. I mean, uh, it, it may be two of my students took me to see it. That may be the last time I was in a movie theater. I don't remember going. I don't, I just don't go to movies anymore, you know, but um I, I do like some movies that are, you know, more real, even if the movie isn't real, you know, it's a fictitious movie, you know, um, 
But you're talking about uh, martial art movies. Well, mob movies that they're, I mean, you know, it's too much. I mean, you know, uh, it gets to be where the Italians, we get, we get stereotyped as all these mobsters and stuff. And some of the movies are just same thing way, way over the top. Some of them, you know, um, kind of ridiculous, you know, I, I don't, even watch a lot of them, you know, um, I mean, I watch the Godfathers and all of that. And, you know, of course, Casino and, um, uh, the other ones I can't even think, boy, my brain's not working now, but, uh, because I don't watch those too often, you know, um, but the Godfather kind of is, I like it more because of it, it's nostalgic, <clears throat> you know, and I know somebody that was in the movie, somebody I studied music with was in the movie. So I have a personal connection to the thing. Um, so that's kind of neat uh, in that regard. But, um, yeah, you know, Joe, the thing is, I thought about maybe I, when I was young, I wish I could have been an actor, right? I thought, I, oh, I could, maybe I'd like to act. But I never did anything with it. I, I, I think I probably should. I would have had a better... I didn't have any connections. I didn't know anybody here in Chicago, but Cleveland, if I would have stayed there, I mean, Cleveland, the Cleveland Playhouse and, you know, the, uh, they have different theaters in Cleveland. I could have probably, you know, gotten an education if nothing else, but I wasn't about to take the leap to go to LA or go to New York and, you know, struggle and not get anywhere with it, you know? So it was never like really a serious thing, more like a, no, not even a pipe dream. I, I wouldn't even say it was a pipe dream. It was just something that I just found fun, you know, when I would act in like school plays or, you know, whatever. Um, I just found it fun, but I never did anything with it. Um, did you hear on that note? Did you hear that they closed the pheasant run permanently? No, really? And it's gone. Yeah, it's for, it's gone. And I don't even think it's COVID related. It just, um, it's, it's gone. Uh, I think it's already completely shut down and never to open again. <clears throat> so, um, but you know, I would, uh, I would love to be in a catch wrestling movie, a real authentic, you know, I would be the technical advisor or maybe I'd have a bit role in it or something like that about how it really, the, the, not the pro wrestling aspect of it, but the real deal American stuff. Um, you know, but it would have to be based obviously in the teens or twenties, maybe the thirties, you're pushing it. Um, but yeah, it would be kind of interesting. Um, then it'll never happen because there's just no market for it. <laughs> yeah, I, anyway. disagree. I disagree. I think there could be a market like, uh, there's a movie called the fighter and it's, uh, about a guy who, uh, at one point, it was kind of similar to the Ali story you're telling me about the guy who, you know, kind of rocked the champ. There was a guy, I think he, I don't know, some East Coast city, but he, he gave, he gave, uh, he like stung Sugar Ray Leonard. You know, his claim to fame was when, when he was boxing, but then after that, his life kind of went downhill. And so it's really more about his life and addiction and stuff like that. So it's not a fight film, but I think you can, you could build a story around the drama. Actually, I feel like, your, I mean, I've said this before, but your life story and your relationship with Rob Vaughn would make some serious drama. I mean, that's a great American story. 
I mean, it's a true karate kid thing. And I'm not just saying that, but it's. Well, thanks. Yeah. You, I know you've said it. Other people have too. just my story in general, not even just what Rod Bomb, but just in general, the environment that I survived in. Um, yeah. That, it'll never happen, but you know, yeah, that one of these days, I mean, we should probably do this before too long. We should get my, we should put this all on recording, you know, like thoughts and, you know, just over the course of a year, whatever it would take, you know, um, just to get things down. But some of it, you know, nowadays everybody's sensitive, you know, to things and it would be, some things just would be difficult to explain, um, diplomatically. Um, but yeah, you know, I used to think this is weird, but let's say you had some guy that was just picking a random year, 1325, and a guy in some little town, doesn't matter where, let's just say way the hell out, you know. Um, there had to be people who were very interesting for their time. Maybe not, you know, not world famous like Marco Polo or somebody, but just like a really neat guy or a really neat woman, you know, that that had these crazy abilities or just, you know, just a funny person or an intelligent person or strong or whatever lost to history. You know, nobody, you know, nobody is like, take, just take my grandfather. If, if I don't talk about my grandfather, no one will ever again. Nope. All his friends are dead. My mother has Alzheimer's and dementia. She, she don't, she can't talk about him. She was an only child. So she doesn't have anybody else to, you know, Think about all these people in history that we never heard of and never will because they weren't world famous, but they were probably important to somebody or somewhere. And their life story may have been very interesting. And we'll never know. You'll never, you know, that bothers me because I'm really sentimental. I'm, you know, I'm I, like everybody tells me I was born in the wrong era. I should have been born along, you know, many, many, many years ago. Um, I think a lot of them think that because I would be dead by now and they wouldn't have to put up with me, but that's probably true. But yeah, wishful thinking. Yeah. Wishful thinking. Well, it'll happen eventually. So you guys can have your party. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I always thought about that. There has to be some incredibly, you know, um, interesting people that, you know, no one will ever know. And you can trace your family tree, which I'm not into that, but you could trace your family tree back 300 years ago and find out, some guy's name, but what do you know? All you know is the name. It's just a, like a line entry. Yeah, right. It's 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 totally detached. There's no, there can't be any emotion behind it. I mean, you may find out that you're related to, you could be like a you know, to a king or a queen or something like that. But uh, you know, who? Again, it. How does it? Does that make you a better person? No, it may it may quench your inquisitiveness if you're into that, but. um that's not my bag. I live for my immediate people, people who are in my life. That's what I want to know. I want to know about the people who are in my life, nothing else. But um, yeah, it's so getting back to the training thing that you were talking about, um, you were mentioning, I was going to bring up that uh, <clears throat> you were doing your shadow wrestling and, and all of that shadow boxing. And the other thing to do, and I've said this before is visualize, you know, you can do visualization and they've done scientific studies on this as well. And visualization can work. But what, what I tell everyone is when you visualize, 
you got to visualize in super slow motion. You've got to visualize you doing something very slowly and, and, and in your mind's eyes, see, okay, there's the punch. I'm turning my fist over. I got the, everything's right. I'm landing with the right knuckle. You've, you've got to do this slow in your mind when you visualize and then a little quicker and then quicker and then quicker and then quicker. And you can visualize a man attacking you and then freeze it like a movie, freeze frame. Okay, you're, let's say you're, you're laying on your back and the guy's throwing that punch. You freeze it and say, okay, where's his elbow? Is it, is it here? I don't know if the camera can pick it up. Is it here? Is it flared out? You know, is he coming down over the top? Freeze these visualizations. This is what I used to do thousands and thousands and thousands of hours through the years. And I could say, okay, if it's coming over the top, boom, there's a good, good chance for me to sit up, you know, like a curved sit up, like a oblique sit up and get into a double wrist lock or whatever, you know, straight arm or top wrist lock, whatever, you know, there's a chance for me to go for the throat or front face lock, da, da, da. You play these games with yourself, but you have to play them slowly because you're, you're, you're thinking, you're, you don't want to just go automatic. You're going to blow it. I'm going to tell you something. My music teacher, both of them, uh, both of my jazz accordion teachers used to tell me that this was a trick. Like when I would, I would just start playing. I had technique back then. I could play real fast, but I wasn't, it wasn't making any sense. Scales or whatever it was. And he'd be like, play that again. Play what you just did. Well, I couldn't. Because, as they said, I didn't have educated fingers. My brain was, there was no connection. My, my hands are just going like, you know, my fingers are just flying. There's no thought process behind it. And that's how it has to be with your fighting. You have to slow it down and have that thought process. It's got to start up here, okay? You have to think clearly and see what you're doing and comprehend it and become creative and constructive. So instead of just blurring something super fast, like a lot of guitar shredders just shred scales, that's nothing. I mean, you know, it's rote memory. Be creative. You know, create that musical line. Or in fighting, create that setup, that angle, or that counter, or that fake. And you, ha you have to do this by starting slow and, and then gradually increasing the tempo here in your mind. Or if you're sparring with your opponent or your training partner, do it slow and then gradually quicker and quicker and experiment, you know? Um, so if you're ever going to be doing <clears throat> some shadow stuff, uh, th do it to like just mentally. Don't even do anything physically, just mentally. And even if it's for 15 minutes a day, you know, well, however many hours you can, or however many minutes you can donate, I'll do it. And maybe it's when you're laying in bed, you know, or maybe when you, you take the train in, maybe it's when you're taking the train in, you know, um, whatever. <clears throat> but believe me, to just visualize become, becoming a fantasy, no. This visualization has to be a training program, nice and slow, and then gradually increase it. It works. Believe me. It, 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 it works. You know, actually, I was thinking about, too, one of the things I was going to bring up about my shadow wrestling, and it kind of dawned on me. And this is maybe too vast of a topic since we've been um, 
kind of talking for a while here to kick back off. But one of the things I realized is some of the, a lot, everything I was doing, basically, like, you know, any of the setups that I was kind of drilling or the movements were really, you know, I would practice, I would visualize a couple things, like a, some double wrist locks and front face locks when I was on my my feet. But mostly a lot of the, like, setups for my takedowns and, you know, things I was working were really all based around modern amateur wrestling. And I kind of realized that, you know, I'm not thinking in terms of how I would be trying to execute this in the street. So, you know, um, you know, when I'm practicing, like I would practice a shadow a sn- a snap down before I would try to like, you know, do my high crotch or something like that. But uh, I realized, hey, you know, I should be thinking, hey, can I pull his hair or should I, you know, like instead of just snapping him down kind of in legal fashions, you know, whatever is the kind way, my brain is still kind of, because so much of the examples that I watch, you know, and, and sources I try and draw for, for those things, you know, they're already kind of um, sanitized for sport. I mean, so much of amateur wrestling over the last several decades, you know, has become detached from, you know, obviously this ties right into catch, but even more so to the self-defense aspect of it. I mean, what are some of your favorite, uh, street setups for a takedown, I guess. Before I forget, you know, the high crotch, you know, make, make these things groin strikes. Always think about that. Well, okay, so getting to answering your, specific, your question a little bit more specifically, I always used to say, like, I'm, I'm more of a strike entry type of guy. You know, I want to work off of punches or, or something. Um, again, I'm speaking generally because, obviously, if somebody's bum-rushing me or whatever, if the circumstances don't allow me to strike, um, but more than just that, a specific detail, because I think there's a lot of problems, in my opinion, with people who think uh, with tunnel vision, like a technique, you have to have, you again, everything with me is improvisation. You have to improvise. You have to think in a bigger, broader term. So for me, it's not a setup specifically. It's me assessing the opponent and looking for the vulnerabilities and remembering the weapons that I have, my thumbs, which are going to be good for gouging, my forearm or elbow, my head for head butts, um, get him up, you know, maybe head, get his neck up, hit his head uh, up. And then now his throat's vulnerable for a, um, for a strike or for uh, grabbing the throat and, and then taking him down from there. Um, and things like that. I could go on and on with, with, with different things. Um, but it, the technique that I use isn't what's important. The important thing is for people to look for the vulnerabilities while maintaining your invulnerability. Okay. You don't want to risk. I'm, I'm a safety first kind of guy, meaning I don't want to try to gamble, like go for the, for the, the, the knockout blow, so to speak, where I, where I make myself very vulnerable. Um, and especially when you're wrestling or jujitsu or even judo, anything, uh, the, the, the injurious, like the torture techniques, the ripping and the, the foul moves, uh, they're, they're banned. So you're, you know, you don't defend against that stuff. Eye gouging is so important to me. Um, Eye gouging is a great equalizer because you gouge somebody in the eye. I don't care how big they are. They could be the biggest, strongest man that ever lived. Nobody lifts weights with their eyes. Nobody 
can, you know, toughen up their eye. Okay. As an example, um, the same with the nose for, I don't care who you are. You, the greatest boxers that ever lived, they've all had broken noses. Okay. This, now that doesn't mean that that's going to end the fight, but what I'm pointing, the point I'm trying to make out, make out here is there are parts of our bodies of our body that are, you can't, um, in, you can't uh, improve it. Okay. You can't, you know, you're, you're, you're just going to be vulnerable. Okay. Um, so when you're talking about entering it into a uh, street situation, you know, don't get too caught up, Joe, in a specific technique, but do like you were thinking. If I'm, if I'm going to snap down, I'll grab his hair if he has hair. Or if I'm tying up with the guy, well, I'm going to get that thumb over to his eyeball. Okay. And then is, you know, he's going to react in some way and it's, you know, going to be a pretty serious reaction. And, and now what's open, you know, now what can I go for? Now maybe I can get that leg or maybe I can go for the groin after I go for the eye. Um, that's the beauty of it. That's what's, but as, as I used to say to people, these dirty tricks are not a replacement for actual wrestling or boxing technique. They're an addendum. They're in addition to it. And um, that's what's really, uh, that's when you become lethal and where you look at somebody who may be like a big bad dude and you're like, you ain't shit, you're nothing. You know, (laughs) you just have this wealth of knowledge and you have the ability to do it and you have the mental acumen to do it like we discussed with nico last week so people can't turn the switch when you when you have all the knowledge when you have the ability to put pull it off when you're in shape and you, and you want to pull it off you have you you just want to do it you're 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 a person that you just don't ever want to mess with just don't do it okay just don't mess with somebody that that has this this kind of knowledge and very few of us do there's not a lot of people that do because like you said you know there's sportsmen or and that's great. You know, wrestling in particular has elevated in certain certain ways, not always, but in certain ways, it's elevated because of, um, you know, the, the sport aspect and the level of competition. Um, you know, so you can't knock it. But, you know, another thing is, you know, a lot of people now with the internet, they want to always come up with new moves or this or that and blah, 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 just to kind of make a name for themselves. You don't need all that. It's a waste of time. Look at boxing. Are there 500 different ways to punch? You know, have men developed all these different crazy punches in boxing? No. You still have your same basic punches, okay? And they're still just as effective now as they were 100 years ago. Think about that, okay? It's not always coming up with something new. No. Can't reinvent the wheel. It's coming up with a strategy or maybe a take on it, a subtlety, but not a reinvention, you know, but, but a subtlety perhaps or whatever. Um, and I do know that a lot of people that I've seen through the years that want to come up with something new, that's good. They're, they're, they're tapping into the creative juices, but they, they don't even, they don't, they're not even good enough at their basics. So many times they're just looking at it. They're looking for a trick. They're looking for a gotcha moment. Oh, I caught this guy in something. 
problem with that is if you catch him with it, you may never catch him again once he's aware of it, okay? Or he may just blow through your move because other parts of your foundation are missing. So I do like the fact that you're talking about street fighting and you have to have a foundation. But street fighting, part of it is your mental uh, foundation, like Nico and I were talking about last week. Um, but start looking at the human body, not from a technique standpoint, but from a, just a vulnerability standpoint and find out how can I get to that vulnerable spot? What's, you can't Google map this, okay? You have to use your brain to find out where can I, how can I get to this, to this vulnerability? And um, once you start, like take a front face lock, forget about how you got into it, take a front face lock. How can I, how can I pluck his eyeball out from here? You know, think about it. Develop it on your own. What way, how can I get to his eyeball? Um, how can I get to his groin from a double leg? How can I get it from a single leg? How can I go from a single leg to get to, to his throat, to get to his eye, to get to his hair if he's got it and pull it down? How can I get to his, from a headlock, uh, from a tie up? How can I stick my finger in his ear so deeply that it, you know, that it, that it, it's crucifying him. You know, it's, it's just like excruciating. This, this is what you need to think about. Um, not you specifically, but just in general, um, making yourself, like I say, just, you know, nasty. Um, you got to do it because it'll happen to you. Maybe with a gun or a knife or whatever. If somebody has a chance, they'll, they'll pop you. But, you know, you got to just become that way. You know, you mentioned um, the single leg and double leg. And I know, like, sometimes when we're training, you kind of caution against the single leg, you know, because your head's inside and you, your hands are tied up for that brief moment. Uh, your kind of face is open for some ripping and things like that. Um, if someone's, you know, looking for it. Um, I often think about that, even with kind of with the double leg too, where, you know, my head's up there, even though it's kind of tucked to the side, both my hands are not defending, you know, my, my face or throat. And uh, if I don't, if I miss it, you know, or, um, you know, not only is my face vulnerable, but I'm stuck under the guy too. So it's very tricky to, when you think of like, either in an MMA or worse street situation, it definitely cuts down the amount of takedowns you want to think about. I've seen a lot of fighters in MMA where they, they kind of hold that position with the single leg and they're just getting taken a ton of punishment uh, trying to finish it. Um, Correct. So. I've said that for years and years and years. <clears throat> the single leg in and of itself isn't the problem. But you mentioned, you know, you got your head on the inside and your arms tied up briefly. Well, if it was briefly, then I don't, there's no problem with it. But when it's not brief, you know, and that's why sometimes when you guys were working out, I'd count one thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four. How many seconds are you tying up with this, this thing? You know, it's just not going to work. Um, it will in a sporting element, even somewhat in an MMA, you can still maybe get away with it because there's still techniques that are illegal in MMA. Um, but yeah, any move. If it's, if it's um, uh, single, double, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not the move. It's 
how much time are you there being vulnerable? I'm not going to mention a guy's name, but I was training a kid and uh, he was talking about all these um, numbers, punches, one, twos, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He's going up to like, you know, 12, 13 punch combinations. I'm like, stop. Okay. You cannot be in front of a man that long. Okay. Um, unless he's completely helpless, right? You don't want to be in front of a man that long as a stationary target. You're going to get picked off, okay? You've got to be a moving target. You've got to be evasive, and you've got to be quick, okay? Um, don't waste your time on stuff that's like that, you know, that's extreme. So it's the same with your takedowns, whatever it is. How long are you vulnerable? Now, you can train this. Very simple. Um, let's say, let's stick with the single leg. Let's say you want to take somebody down, and that person is, is just going to strict wrestle you. No dirty tricks, okay? Have either somebody time it or just film it, and just look at yourself. Just say, Jesus, my head was there. <laughs> my face was there for six, seven seconds, eight, nine, ten seconds, <laughs> totally unblocked. He could have crushed my face. See, that's how you can do it. You can review it, and you can say, oh, my goodness, that just wasn't any good. And then follow it up with this. You're going for the single. We'll stick with the single. Can you evacuate that position quickly? Let's say, you know, you have a one-second or two-second rule. You have one second or maximum of two seconds to score this takedown or get out. Can you do that? Or is he going to wizard you now and kind of like tie you up? Okay. And now you're stuck there. See, these are, this is how, this is, this is street fighting. This is, this is the way I fight. This is the way I always thought about this stuff from day one. Okay. And, and this is what I want to teach people. This is why I think it's so important. Yeah. Don't not learn singles. Don't not learn doubles or whatever, or high crotches or hip throws or whatever. But implement them properly. Make them quick. Realize this is no longer a sport. Okay? This is now we're in a different element here. So what works in a sport has to be um, not necessarily augmented, but, you know, I don't know what the word. It has to be changed slightly, you know, to a degree in, in, a, in a street fight situation. And, um, you know, there's no market for that right now because the traditional, let's say, martial arts schools, or not uh, martial arts schools, self-defense things, uh, many of them uh, don't have the, the lineage of being, you know, a good boxer or maybe a good wrestler or something. Um, or if they do, they don't have that capability of, well, how do I switch? How do I make this transition? So, you know, like I used to tell people years, for years, I used to say, I don't, I mean, I may teach you stuff on the feet and I may teach you stuff on the ground. But when I'm fighting, I don't look at it like that. I don't look at it as I'm on my, I'm going to do my feet stuff. I'm going to do my ground stuff. I look at everything as, as a finish. I'm just looking at finishing you. And that's why I try to have no line of demarcation. When I go from striking to grappling, I want it to be very smooth. So in my mind, it's not separate. It's, it's all blended into one. It's melded really well. 
And um, we talked about this before. Most of my students, I think almost pretty much all of them, they never wanted to learn all the super nasty stuff or the strikes. So they just got uh, just a portion of what I teach. So I've had people tell me, you've, you've got a legacy, Tony. You've left the legacy. You've left the lost art of hooking or the snap note tap or this or that or all these students. Ah, I still feel it's missing. My legacy, no one knows what, how I fight or what I can do because no one, and it has to be more than one person, it has to be a group that, that wanted to learn to be the toughest man in the world. You know, and I, I wish that there was a group that just said, hey, Tony, we want to be the, you know, the toughest man in the world. I can get you there. So you don't even have videos of me to draw from. All your questions that you have for me could have been answered years ago if, if I would have had the people or the, um, <clears throat> the martial art world was interested in that. They weren't. You know, everybody was interested in, you know, either, you know, grappling Abu Dhabi or MMA or something where, you know, and especially MMA back then, you know, which was just a little bit different than it is now. You know, just there were, the, the market wasn't, wasn't there, you know, just w- wasn't there. Even when I did a law, started hooking, I wanted to do some of this stuff. We ran out of time. And it was marketed as, oh, talk this, say this, you know, be controversial. I didn't want to be controversial. I wanted to be scientific. I wanted to say, look, here, this is all the stuff that you can do. We just ran out of time. I said this before, we even filmed a strength training video. I did some heavy-duty lifting in this video. Um, curls with one arm, 100 pounds, dumbbells. It never got released. I never even saw the footage. Because, you know, they wanted to limit it back then. It came out as a 10-tape 10 10-tape 10 VHS set. But, yeah, if the market was there, um, this could have been something, you know. But in a way now, it's probably best that I didn't do it, you know. So that, the secret, these secrets that I know or these techniques that I know will go to my grave, more than likely. Um, you know, even in the snap, no tap. You know, I didn't want to go over stuff that I did on a lost start of hooking because I, we were under such a short time frame. You know, um, we just did not have the. T- if we had another week, another seven days, I could have I could have gotten gotten more into this. So that's so my legacy is, is my legacy, but it's not a complete legacy. It's it's it, you know it's it bothers me. You know, but um, and even with you, you know, right right now with the COVID and everything, and nobody's training like they should, and you can't, right? I get it. But you would need a team of guys, Joe. You would need more than one guy to, you know, as a training partner because, you know, um, our schedules like today, you know, we couldn't get Nico on because of scheduling. Scheduling, scheduling, scheduling is the problem. You know, and um, yeah, I just wish in a perfect world that I could I could have all this going on. You know, it's not going to happen. I, I I move on. But I'm glad that you're thinking about it, and I'm sure there's other people out there that that have these thoughts, but they may not know of me, or they may not know, they may not feel comfortable reaching out to me because they'll think I I would reject them. No, I'd, I'd help them even long distance via video with the Tri-C program or whatever. Um, Oh, well, what are you going to (laughs) do? Yeah. 
So um, for me, because I, was, I lived in fear as a kid, um, all I cared about was how can I, I remember vividly saying when I was really, really little, I want to be able to walk into any place in the world and not be afraid. I just wanted that. I just wanted to be able to walk anywhere and not be afraid anymore. Because everybody in my neighborhood was afraid. We, everybody lived in fear. And I'm talking, I was real young here. And um, I, you know, I got into boxing and okay, that's okay. But I wasn't big. I was skinny. I was under, I was malnourished. I didn't have the knockout punches. I didn't, I didn't have that. I was just a skinny kid. And the boxing just wasn't, it didn't, didn't quell my fear. Um, and it wasn't until I started doing what I'm doing to catch, catch wrestling my way, the savageness of it, not worrying about pins, not worrying about, you know, three counts or to put my foot on the rope and the guy lets go of a hold, none of that theatrical stuff. This was all about, you know, being the toughest man in the world, knowing things that no one will know, you know, maybe five guys in the whole world. That's, that was the most important thing to me, you know, knowing that I could win in a fair fight against anyone on planet earth. And that's what I'm looking for. Someone who has those same desires that I did 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 45 years ago, whatever it was. That's what I'm looking for. A group of guys that want to say, Hey, I, I know what you, what you felt like Tony. Cause that's what I feel like right now. So that's all I have to say on that. So I'm like, what's his name? Gump. Well, no, I definitely think I, well, I hope there's still the potential to maybe build a team, you know, a small team, maybe get some. Uh... Well, I want it to be self-defense. Oh yeah, absolutely. When I say team, I don't mean competitive. You know, I mean I guess a crew, yeah, a little tribe to get together and work that out. Because yeah, I think, you know, the sport world is what it is, and they definitely got that covered. But um, yeah, you have you know, there's there's this weird chasm between the sport world, you know, which is you know, it's keeps evolving and growing in that way, and then there's kind of like the self defense group. There's very few who live in that middle ground, you know, who kind of have the conditioning and the competitiveness of the, the sports side and the knowledge there, but then also throw in those self-defense elements. There's, yeah, you're right. It's, you know, either there's very few who do it and there's very few markets for it because, um, yeah, the sportive people want to compete and get ahead. And, that, you know, I understand that drive, but uh, in the self-defense, some of the, a lot of self-defense people, I think, uh, you know, some people are, you know, don't have the capabilities to do the sportive side stuff, maybe the athletic cap capability. So it's a, it's a very narrow market sometimes. Uh, and sometimes it's just driven out of need. Like you said, if people need to defend themselves and are in a dangerous situation, that's probably the best market because uh, they have no ulterior motive or aspirations, you know, to uh, have a belt or, you know, uh, whatever, you know. Uh, compete on some stage because you can't translate it. The rules are against it, you know? Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm still hopeful that we can, uh, we can build that and, uh, and, and get that carried on, but we'll see. It's out of our hands. It's up to, you know, the, the community at large. Um, as long as I'm alive, I'll, I'll try to do it. But, you know, like I said, I got to put food on the table. 
you know, I, I've got to, you know, make a living. Um, so, but that doesn't mean even if I'm making a living that my knowledge is going to dissipate, you know, I'll still have the knowledge, but you know, it's just, yeah, if we, if we can get the guys to do it fine. Um, you know, there, there, there was always something about knowing a having this. So a lot of self-defense, I'll, I'll just talk in broad terms. A lot of self-defense guys are they, they're, you know, they want to, they, they don't want to compete maybe because they, they don't feel they're good enough to compete. So they're going to, some people may rely, think they're going to rely on a trick. No, you know me, I, I can, I can hang with any sport guy, right? When I was in shape, that's no problem. I can go either way. I just choose to go to the violent part of it. Um, and th- that, so, so in essence, what I'm getting at is if people would train, they would still become world-class sportsmen. I mean, that's just a matter of tweaking. So it, well, it wouldn't be like, well, you're only going to learn self-defense because y- you, you know, we don't, we don't have what it takes to make you a, a champion sportsman. No, I've trained world champions. So you can be both, you know, that's the beauty of it. And, um, it's being wasted, you know, and it's, and it's been, been wasted for 25, 26 years, almost 30 years. Um, but yeah, it's never too late. If there's people out there that want to really say, Hey, Tony, I want to focus on that self-defense thing. Well, that'll light a fire under me. You know, that, um, that's what really inspires me. Um, and yeah, we could get, you know, we get something going. That would be great. But, um, Ooh, uh, I don't want people to have to use it. I mean, I, I don't want people to always have to defend themselves, but it's just, we're, it seems like we're, we're, we're turning back the clock and it's, it's like the seventies again, the violence seems to be stepping up. You know, I don't think what we're going through now in the country is even that bad compared to what we went through in the seventies. Okay. All you got to do, watch movies from the sixties and seventies. You'll see that they were talking about all the violence that was existing at that point in time crazy violence. Okay. Um, so I think in, in many ways it was a lot worse then, but we're getting back to that now. This is starting to, you know, happen more and more and more. And, and like you mentioned earlier, people now are, are kind of detached from the self-defense aspect in a lot of martial arts places. And you can't find a lot of martial arts schools anymore. Okay. They're, they're folding up. I was just somewhere. I don't know if I mentioned it to you or maybe I mentioned it to Nico last week. Um, I don't remember right now where I was, but this was just within a week. Um, and I saw some martial arts school, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, submission wrestling, boxing, MMA, closed, gone, you know, empty, you know, for rent sign. Um, and um, I saw a couple other places that had nothing to do with martial arts, you know, that, were, oh, this was out, no, where was this? Was this out in Wheaton? I don't remember where it was, but it was just recently. I think I was just talking about it, but I don't remember now. So, so many schools are just, you know, closing up. And even before COVID, many schools that would have taught maybe kind of street-oriented stuff was gone, you know, because it's, the focus was becoming either grappling, you know, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like, like grappling events or MMA, and, you know, that's fine. 
but there's other set, you know, there's other segments of the world that need to be covered. You know, just like when you go to a health club, any health club, nobody in there expects you to become a world champion bodybuilder or a world champion powerlifter. You're just there to just think, improve yourself somewhat. And this is what, you know, with martial arts schools, we need those schools again, where somebody can go in there with not having to worry about competing or being like swept to the side as a student, because you're not going to be part of our competition team. Cause you know, this all happens. We hear it all the time. You just need to say, hey, I want to, I want to go to a friendly environment where I don't want to compete. I just want to get better than what I am now and reach my peak. You know, that's kind of sad, you know, um, that, that, that those places are kind of falling by the wayside and in these obscure martial arts, they don't have a chance to, uh, you know, there used to, I remember there used to be school martial arts schools in Chicago when I, when I was younger, like in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties, you know, real esoteric styles, those places, you know, are long, long gone, but um, you don't see them anymore. That's that's too bad. I have no idea if the instructors were good or bad. I never stopped into any of them, but it was just kind of nice to be able to say, "Oh, there's a Falando school," or there's a uh, they actually had a guy who was teaching thuggy. Okay, um, <laughs> I would have loved to have talked to the guy. Should have, you know, um, about that. That's that. You know, that's where we get the word thug from. Um, and um, Salat, you know, Penchak Salat school, you know. Now, what, you're going to go to a JKD school and, and maybe once a month you'll learn a technique from Penchak Silat? Or, or where's the JKD school? You know, there's so many of those are gone. So there's just a lot of places are no longer um, Tai Chi places or uh, different Kung Fu places. You know, they're just, they're just gone. Um, that's a shame. But I guess in a lot of things in the world are – you know, times have changed music and everything certain. I mean, look at, look at what's what, the top 40 music. It, it's not like the music that we used to listen to. It's totally different. You know, I kind of think this is just my opinion. I kind of think that's why country got popular because country kind of, you know, it's kind of like in a way like the rock and roll of the seventies with just a twang. Cause I know old timers, like really old people when country started to change are like, this ain't country music. They thought it was crap, you know, <laughs> because they, it wasn't country, you know, it wasn't the old Ernest Tubb and, you know, uh, um, Merle Travis and that kind of, you know, that kind of country. It's a different style. So yeah, things change, Joe, you know, that things change in time. I mean, even before the COVID, go to Chicago, a lot of the ethnic restaurants are closed up. They're gone. The, the kids don't, the, the, you know, the, the family member kids, they didn't, they, want, they didn't want to take it over. The younger generation, they, they want to go to all these chain or fast food uh, or, uh, you know, um, I don't know, like these fancy like Chipotle or whatever it is, these things. So a lot of the old ethnic mom and pop type of restaurants are going by the wayside. And now add the COVID to it. Yeah, times have changed, you know. So when the dust settles, where are we going to be? I don't know. So going to be at a Chili's, uh, listening to country music. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. I, although I did when I did a seminar out in San Diego. Uh, well, the Sam seminar was in L.A., but a bunch of wrestlers and pro wrestlers, and I, um, 
uh, he, I got these cheese sticks or whatever. Yeah, I think they were cheese sticks from Chili's. Or was it Chili's? Yeah, it was Chili's. Yeah, man, were they good as an appetizer. And I said, I had to get another order of them. They were great. Because um, one of my students had um, taken me there. He's like, try these. I'm like, oh, I love them, man. I love them. But yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not dissing Chili's at all. Actually, I think they should be our first sponsor, our first affiliate. We should reach out to them. Uh, the uh, Actually, what I love is even worse for you is the, um, what do they call it, the molten volcano or whatever. It's like this bunt cake with uh, like hot fudge and, and like ice cream. We usually would get it for the kids on their birthday. And we'd, it, it became a thing where we'd like, uh, we'd get one for the family and we'd get like, I guess it, it ended up being, finally like five different spoons but the oh, good. go at it light speed so it became like you know that hungry hippos game where you just go at it in the middle and so eventually <laughs> we had to get them their own because it was just it was you know you couldn't get it all and ended up it ended up uh turning into you know a good fight you know where the forks and knives were drawn to try and get the, the portion of it so far be it from me to disrespect chilies <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I've been in, in the Chili's four or five times in my whole life. Same with Applebee's. You know, I man, it's just not my thing. But, yeah, I mean, um, yeah. You'd be, but, yeah, I, I go to – I mean, I don't really go out to eat, them, you know, especially here where I live now. There's, I mean, when I was in Chicago, it's a whole different story. I was eating out all the time. But not at chains, you know, specific little restaurants, you know, like Spitzico or – New Star from Chinese food and, you know, Sabatino's, which is long gone, La Scarola, Ignaz for the Italian, uh, you know, La Villa. These were, these were my spots. You know, if I were going to go to a chain, it would probably be – actually, I, I like the steak gorgonzola at uh, um, Olive Garden, you know. I, I, I guess I've been to Maggiano's, but I, yeah, it's so long ago, I don't remember. Um, I think I've only been to Maggiano's twice. But, um, you know, one of my ex-girlfriends was the manager of a great Italian restaurant, you know, um, and that's gone too. Unfortunately, they're, they're all gone. Ambrosio's, it was phenomenal Italian food, homemade, everything, the best. But, you know, it's all gone. You know, everything just, it's temporary. You know, it seems like so. Once all the dust settles with COVID, and if we can get our feet back on the ground here, you know, and working, me working again and everything, and I can get into a routine of going out. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the places that are left, the ones that I that I like that are still there. I'm gonna make sure I go there, you know, maybe two or three times a month just to, you know, enjoy it while I can. You know. Well but, yeah, it kind of goes to your earlier point about enjoying who's here now while you are here, you know. Um everything's temporary, right? I'm getting philosophical now. That's the same thing with restaurants, man. You know, you don't <laughs> – restaurants in a lot of ways are symbolic to me of uh, life in general because, you know, sometimes I don't appreciate them or, I, you know, I don't go to them like I should, and then they're gone and I'm kicking myself. You know, there was this place that had the best wings I've ever had. Um, it was on, like, Diversity in Elson. It was just – and it, it just disappeared. It was always busy. I never thought it was going to have problems, but probably some mismanagement. I mean, this is back in the 90s. Uh, and I've never had anything like it since, and I just regret it. And so even now during this COVID, I've kind of made an effort to, um, like, you know, Pete's Pizza on Western. I love that place. And I make sure, like, sometimes when I drive and work in the city, I'll pick up a pizza from there and bring it home just to make sure, you know, I want to 
kind of send it that lifeline. I mean, they seem everybody's, you know, the businesses you care about are probably very desperate right now. And I know not that not everybody has money to spend around on eating out all the time, but if you can occasionally, but especially the places you care about, sure. Try and spend some local dollars because, um, uh, and that goes for anything, man. You know, like I really try and resist the temptation of using Amazon and stuff like that as much as I can. You know, if I can buy something at a local bookstore or something, because everybody's hurting, you know, and, and the squeeze is on. So uh, you're right. Uh, we just keep heading in the, in kind of this homogenous direction where the big corporate mm-hmm. things are taking over. And uh, I mean, the good thing I'd say about living in Chicago and, and I feel spoiled about being in such a big metro area is there is a lot of options. Uh, and so when I go to like a smaller city, sometimes I'm surprised that they don't have as many um, things. So, I mean, and, and the fact that, I mean, right now, obviously there's a lot of debate about immigration, but we do get a lot of people coming in here. So you have, you know, the Polish section, the Thai section, you know, have all these different, um, and um, yeah, take advantage of that because it's, it's a blessing, you know. To have you, all this- you did jog my memory when you said wings, because now I told you that martial arts school, the submission wrestling jujitsu thing. I never heard of them before, but that was in Fox Lake because I helped my buddy's girlfriend move the other day. Uh, when was it? Mo- Monday or Tuesday, something like that or whatever. And um, yeah, that's where all those places were closed up. But we ended up going for wings for lunch. His girlfriend treated us for wings and they were very good wings um, at a place. So yeah, I'll go there again um, for wings, probably maybe next Wednesday um, if I can. Um, but yeah, you're right. You have to support these places, you know, and believe me, um, we're all going to end up out of business if people don't support and, you know, then it's going to be like, oh, well, why did he, you know, why did they go out of business? Well, yeah, well, we got to live, you know, people have bills and things and, you know, especially when you're a business owner, you normally have double the bills. You know, you have two rents, you know, or whatever, mortgages, however you want to word it, two electric bills, two cable bills, two this and that. You know, it, it adds up. Um, or if you're self-employed, you know, you you don't make any sales, you don't eat. You, you don't get any money coming in, you know, and, and that's the danger of it all. Um, yeah, it, it's just I've I've known – like good music teachers, right? Great musicians. And, and they had the knowledge to impart it, but you know, they, they were what they didn't get the students, you know, people are like, oh, I'll just learn off of YouTube or I'll, I'll buy an instructional video off of some guy. And, you know, these local musician guys, they, they can't teach anymore. You know, um, that's, that's just, it's tough, but that's, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, but yeah, I want to start, well, the weather's changing now, you know, we're, we're, we're in September now. So the winter's going to be coming in the next, you know, couple months. Um, well, technically, and I know what's in December, but you know, the weather starts really getting bad here in Chicago, or Chicagoland sometimes in November. Um, you know, that's going to limit a lot of things and hopefully we're not going to get this second wave of COVID. You know, if the coronavirus comes back, man, geez. I mean, but like many are saying, it's never even left. It's st- we're still going on it, but um, nonetheless, um, we still have to do what we have to do, Joe. You know, we we, we got to take care of ourselves, even though we have responsibilities to others. If you don't take care of yourself, you cannot take care of someone else. If you deteriorate, like now, my mom's so dependent on me for everything, 
uh, I have to take care of myself. I have to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm healthy mentally as well as physically. And that's, it's taxing. It's, it's difficult. This is a struggle. This is the most, probably the most difficult period of my life. You know, like I've, I've said, since you know, I got divorced and Kevin getting killed and all my other friends dying. And I just found out yesterday, another one of my friends died. Um, young, younger, um, not, Depending on when her birthday was, she was either 47 or 48. You know, no good. And um, it's a shame. Uh, yeah, so, you know, you just got to just keep keep on going, you know. But on that note, I think we should probably, you know, wrap it up so we can get uh, sleep, which is important to us. Because we're filming this at night on the Thursday. It's getting late for me. I'm the guy that gets up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning sometimes two o'clock. It's like a celebration when I sleep until five. Um, I don't know. Just don't sleep well. <laughs> Time do you get up, Joe? Uh, I usually wake up before my alarm, like around six. So, oh. so it's a decent night of sleep. So I'll, I'll call you at five 30. <laughs> <laughs> so I have somebody to talk to. <laughs> hey, I'm nice. I can call you at three in the morning. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's always a pleasure talking to you, and, and I hope that we can get Nico back on this again. Um, you know, it's just with scheduling. You know, it it this is what I tell people sometimes is just doing this is difficult. Getting somebody in their house at a certain hour is is hard. Let alone having them come to a gym or come to my house to train. But yeah, you're a great guy, and I like your thoughts and your questions because it's showing me that you're thinking. And you're not, you know, just saying, oh, well, I've done all I want to do with it. No, you still want to get better and better and better. And, you know, um, you want to, you know, I want you to have that knowledge to depart or to uh, depart, to to pass on to to other people. Even if it's just a conversation that can stimulate someone's um, growth process. Even if you don't ultimately become the instructor, if you can just, you know, chink it away, just put it in there, like, you know, a coin in a slot, chink, chink, boom. And that makes them, you know, you deposit it in their brain and like, yep, I'm going to come back to this one day or I'm going to search more into this. You have a good temperament, you know, you're even keel, you know, you're just, you're kind of smooth and mellow where you know, I'm like chaos, you know, you're like real cool. So you I'll know. get you the right drugs. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, really, you know, but anyway, yep, that's, you know, thanks a million for, for uh, setting this up. You know, I'm glad you did it. And, uh, you know, that's it for me. All right. Yeah, well, for signing off for now, and we'll see you guys uh, next time. Okay, yeah, everybody, take care. Thank you.